It's been a scandal-filled couple of years for the University of Southern California, known everywhere except South Carolina as USC. A billion-dollar settlement with victims of a former school gynecologist accused of sexually abusing students. A former dean who used hard drugs. Unfair admissions. Illegal bribes to sports coaches. So much more. Now the school is dealing with a scandal that strikes at the heart of the classic American university experience. Fraternities and sororities. This time, though, it's not just frat bros accused of wrongdoing, but also school officials. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. At USC, hundreds of students have been protesting university officials and so-called Greek life itself after a series of drugging and sexual assault allegations that the school kept quiet about for weeks. Some of the loudest criticism, though, has come from an unexpected source, fraternity and sorority members. Today, we talked to LA Times higher education reporter, Teresa Watanabe. And we also talked to a USC student who's a proud sorority sister, and that's why she's pushing for change. USC is one of the capitals of fraternities and sororities in the United States. Members have a huge presence on campus, and former members have long had influence in Southern California's political, economic, and social spheres. Right now, though, USC's fraternity row has become a place of protest. At the Sigma Nu Fraternity House, students plastered the outside walls with notes. The fraternity chapter remained suspended after USC received six reports that students had been drugged there in late September, and one report alleges a sexual assault. The notes call out the alleged abusers and trash the very idea of fraternities. Protests and vigils continue. Teresa Watanabe has written a series of articles about the matter. Teresa, welcome to The Times. Great to be here, Gustavo. So what's the main issue that has sparked all these protests? Well, the main issue is, first of all, what a lot of people are calling just the toxic fraternity culture, where you have had these allegations of sexual assault and drugging of people's drinks in parties. This has been going on at one particular fraternity, Sigma Nu, but it's also happening at other fraternities, not only at USC, but nationwide. So there's huge protests about really doing something to change that toxic culture. And then the other reason that the protests are flaring up is that a lot of people are really unhappy with the way USC administration has responded. Or the lack of response, actually. Right. Yeah. People were really upset with the delay between the time that USC received the allegations against Sigma Nu and the time that they actually informed the public about them. And that was about a couple of weeks, a month, something like that? Yeah, so there were allegations by six students that they had been drugged at a party. And one of those students also alleged that she was sexually assaulted at the Sigma Nu fraternity party. USC received those complaints at the end of September, but they did not inform the community until October 20, four days after another student had reported being drugged and sexually assaulted at that same fraternity. So USC knew about these allegations for weeks, but didn't pass along that information to the student body. What's their explanation for it so far, for that lack of timing? Yeah, well, USC President Carol Folt did acknowledge a quote-unquote troubling delay, but she was saying that this has fallen into the gray area because the allegations were reported to a confidential reporting service, and they were not sure what to do 
Carol Folt and USC said that there was, quote, clear uncertainty about who they could tell, how they could elevate it to higher authorities. And so they did report it to uh, USC security, student affairs, crisis intervention, but it was not immediately elevated to the um, Clary Center, which is like the federal center that takes reports of all of these crimes. And certainly the community was not informed until the 20th of October, like three weeks later. And the reasoning for being so late and that just because, you know, the process that they had to go through or something? Yeah. So Carol Folt had said that they weren't sure how quickly they could make public confidential allegations. And so there was an uncertainty over keeping the confidentiality of those who were allegedly assaulted versus warning the community about a threat or a potential threat. And so they are investigating all of this. They are looking at how they can change the process so that there would be more timely warning. And at the same time, you know, they have to also keep into account the fact that you can't just start outing fraternities that are alleged to have this kind of behavior, probably, unless there's some kind of process involved. How much oversight does USC have over what happens off campus? Because this party was not on campus. No, and that's the thing, is that these fraternity houses are not owned by USC. They're owned by the fraternity organizations. However, as a condition of being a recognized USC student group, USC does get to impose some restrictions. For instance, one of the fraternity members told me that USC parties are actually pretty heavily regulated. They are required, for instance, to have one security guard for every 50 attendees. They're required to have a professional bartender. He told me that they're also required to only serve drinks with closed containers, like, for instance, a beer can or a seltzer can. And he said, relative to other fraternities on other campuses, he told me that USC does regulate things pretty strictly. However, obviously, that hasn't really solved the problem because these allegations of wrongdoing are still going on. We'll be back after this break. Teresa, allegations of sexual assaults at fraternities and university officials ignoring complaints about them have gone on for decades nationwide. And maybe there'll be a protest after one particular scandal, but nothing that seems to be lasting. But what seems to be going on at USC, what is it about it that has made it different than maybe previous instances nationwide? Yeah, it's really interesting to see the enormity of the protest and not only the size of them, but the fact that they have been sustained. They've been going on for days. And it is also including the faculty are stepping up to join the protest. You know, huge coalitions of student groups across campus. And what's really interesting is a lot of Greek members themselves, sorority and fraternity members themselves, are joining the protest and saying, it is time to do something to change this culture. And I think when we talk to a lot of these members, as well as students, they have been really influenced by the Me Too movement. They have been influenced by the Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd was murdered. 
And the ethos of today's Gen Z college students is probably a greater emphasis on social justice. And, you know, these sorority and fraternity members are, after all, college students. And, you know, they are influenced by the mores and the values of their peers. And so I think it's all coming together, the social movements that are burgeoning right now, the student activism, to make this a pivotal moment for fraternities and sororities and great culture. And it really bucks that stereotype of fraternity and sorority members being apologists for the entire system, saying there's nothing wrong with us, there's no need for change. But now some of the people that you talk to said, look, I'm a proud fraternity member, I'm a proud sorority sister, but we do need to fix some of the problems that continue in this system. Yeah, that's right. One of the fraternity members that I interviewed said that we have to own up to our checkered past and do something about it. And this is happening even at the national level where the North American Interfraternity Conference is also saying it's time to clean up our act. They have supported legislation to end hazing. They have actually imposed a ban on hard alcohol in their fraternities. Now, whether their guidance or their restrictions are actually followed is a totally another question because one of the most powerful and popular fraternities also banned hazing. And yet one of their chapters in Texas recently was sued in a $1 million lawsuit by two students who said that they had suffered severe burns because during a hazing incident, they had industrial chemical poured on them. So there's a lot of talk about, you know, reforms from the top down, but really the only thing that will change culture in the Greek life is if the sorority of fraternity members themselves step up and say, you know what, this is no longer acceptable. Yeah, from the bottom up, alumni of these fraternities and sororities donate millions of dollars to USC, have a lot of influence on what goes on to the school. How have they responded to the way the school has handled this situation and to the student protests themselves? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question, Gustavo, because The alumni are so strong, not only at USC, but nationwide. The alumni are huge donors, uh, proportionately donate more to colleges than non-fraternity members. We haven't heard anything out of the Alumni Association. People like Rick Caruso, who is the chairman of the Board of Trustees of USC, also a fraternity member, haven't heard anything from him. So it is a good question as to what they're saying. Carol Folt is pledging that she came to the university to confront problems and fix them. So we'll see if she can do that with the support of her alumni. Say USC says, okay, enough of this. These fraternities and sororities are just a giant headache for us. We don't want them anymore. Are they allowed to just get rid of them? In a short answer, no. First of all, They can decertify them, and they have. USC has basically decertified certain fraternities in the past, which means that, you know, they no longer have the funding that comes with being a USC student organization, et cetera. But, you know, these are fraternal organizations. They have their own houses that are owned by their organizations. And there's also the issue of freedom of association. So, for instance, on public university campuses, You know, public universities are not going to be allowed, probably, to say you cannot have a fraternity because then there would immediately be a challenge that they're violating their First Amendment right to freedom of association. What's next then for USC and the protesters? Well, USC says that they're doing a lot of listening right now. They're meeting with student groups. They're meeting with faculty. They're 
saying that they're trying to find a way forward to come up with some really meaningful reforms. Now, I know that one of the things that people have advocated is to have USC publicly post data on their fraternity sorority websites that would inform the public, you know, how many alcohol transports to hospitals, how many substantiated instances of sexual assault, how many student disciplinary charges or hazing incidences have these fraternities been hit with. And that would give the public the ability to make an informed decision as to whether you want to join the fraternity. USC back in 2018 had a review committee on their Greek organizations, and this was one thing that they recommended. But when I asked USC, whatever happened, is it operative? What did you do? They declined to answer that question. So there are a lot of reforms that are possible, but it will still remain to be seen whether they actually go forward with them. What about the students? What are they saying in terms of what they want to do next or see next? Yeah, it depends on the student. There is an abolished Greek life movement at USC as well as at other campuses. It's pretty small, though, and I I don't actually think anyone expects Greek life to be abolished. But a lot of the student organizations are saying that they want more accountability. They want more transparency. Some of the fraternity members are saying that they want more education. Other fraternity member that I talked to said that he wanted to, for instance, bring in a practice that UC Berkeley fraternities have done, where before anyone enters a party, they have to actually go and review the consent guidance and agree to observe it before they get entry into the party. Others are saying that they should impose restrictions in terms of no alcohol at all, or in the case of sororities, they actually have an adult living in their house. Some people are saying the fraternity should do likewise. So whether any of that comes to pass, we'll just have to see. Teresa, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you, Gustavo. Coming up, we speak to a USC sorority member. Hannah Fondacaro is a USC senior majoring in psychology and pre-law. She belongs to a sorority and is openly protesting the university's response to allegations of sexual assaults being covered up. Hannah, welcome to The Times. Thank you. Before you joined a sorority, what were your images of sorority life and what drew you to it? Yeah, I think it was kind of ambiguous to me. I don't have any older siblings and, you know, I came here from New York. So I hadn't really been exposed to it. My mom wasn't in a sorority, so I didn't have that legacy piece. And I was kind of just excited to see what it was all about. I didn't know anyone in California, didn't know anyone in L.A. It was just a way for me to, I thought, you know, make friends. And it was exciting and new to me. Did you think then once you were into it that it was just going to be all friends? Or did you ever expect or feel like sometimes you might have to be on guard against inappropriate behavior? I think it was just kind of a general worry about, you know, college, how different it would be. But yeah, like I said, I didn't really know what to expect because I hadn't heard kind of stories of what goes on. And I think a lot of it is kind of hush hush in a way. So you just don't really know until you're kind of in the midst of it. You've kind of seen some news reports of different schools, you know, there being some allegations here and there, but they boil over pretty quickly. What made you decide to join the current protests going on right now at USC? 
I think the biggest issue with what's going on is that, you know, girls are being silenced. And I think the bare minimum that we can do is show up. And I think there's power in numbers. So I was at the first protest kind of the morning after all of the news broke and there was a very loosely organized protest. I kind of just heard about it from a friend and I went and it was only about 20 people. And that was really disheartening to see. And I was like, I don't know, maybe people don't know about it. Maybe people don't care. You know, I really didn't see a lot of people from the Greek community. So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I was really hoping to see some more people. And I think there is a lot of power in numbers and encouraging others to speak out. At these protests, are you seeing a lot of members now from Greek life more than at least the first protest? Yeah, absolutely. There's a little bit of fear among the Greek community to go to these protests out of fear of being affiliated with the Abolish Greek Life movement. But I don't really see it that way. I see, you know, the main issue here is, you know, holding these abusers accountable because it happens within Greek life, out of Greek life, at USC, outside of USC. So I think it's just important to show up. Yeah, there's been a long movement. A lot of people have been wanting to ban Greek life on campuses across the United States, specifically for some of the issues that USC is dealing with right now. And what's happening right now at USC is only going to confirm their views. So what would you tell the critics who want to ban Greek life altogether? I think it's really easy and kind of intuitive to just take one of the two extreme sides, either ban Greek life or, you know, I love Greek life, keep it around. And I think in this situation, Greek life is a huge, you know, it's a community that fosters this, but sexual assault still occurs outside of Greek life, unfortunately. And I think by making what happened all about abolishing Greek life is also harmful to some of the victims because we have to remember, you know, there's victims in sororities and outside of sororities in this case. And by just taking what happened as a way to kind of say abolish Greek life, a Greek life is a support system for a lot of these girls who can be victims themselves. So it definitely can be seen as kind of victim blaming or victimizing these girls who might rely on their sorority sisters for support. So I think it's just important to hold the right people accountable. And in the right people, in this case, you're saying it's not the system itself, but rather the abusers themselves and the administrators who haven't said much about it. Exactly. And I do. Yeah, like I said, I do think Greek life might well definitely does perpetrate these problems for sure. And it's an issue. And I don't think we should just ignore it and say, you know, Greek life isn't the issue. It is an issue. But I don't think it's appropriate to just turn a blind eye to holding these boys accountable, these guys accountable, when banning Greek life isn't going to ban sexual assault, unfortunately. What then, if you think that there are some problems with Greek life that perpetuates stuff like this, then what does Greek life need to do itself to create a Greek life without those sort of problems? I think there just needs to be more of an open conversation. I don't know how that can be done. You know, I I wish I had those answers, but it's very hard in these circles. You know, if you're a member of a sorority or fraternity, betraying one of your brothers or sisters, I imagine would be very difficult. And, you know, it's also a tough subject. If you're not there witnessing it, you're hearing all different perspectives. You know, I believe survivors but it's a very sticky subject because people just don't want to go against their friends for a stranger a lot of times. And that can be really hard. 
On the other hand, though, as you said, you're seeing more and more members of Greek life being at these protests, standing with the survivors and standing against at least an administration that isn't saying much about what has happened. Do you think that portends to a future where Greek life will have more of a reckoning with itself? Yeah, I hope so. I think people are definitely blindsided by what's going on. And when we got seven reports all at once. It's, you know, it's not just one report. It's not just two, three, four, five, you know, it's seven. So I think people are definitely waking up to that. I do think though, you know, the participation from a lot of people is a bit timid and hesitant, which again, I think the power in numbers, I hope by getting more people to come out, that will continue to change and people will feel more comfortable. Hannah, thank you so much for this interview. Yeah, thank you so much, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, the long arc of marijuana legalization in California and where we're going next. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Eben. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias. Gracias.